some reflections and observations on the preceding memoirs, etc. of the Rev. David Brainerd reflect. 1. We have your opportunity, as I apprehend, in a very lively instance, to see the nature of true religion, and the manner of its operation when exemplified in a high degree and powerful exercise. Particularly it may be worthy to be observed, section 1 how greatly Mr. Brainerd's religion differed from that of some pretenders to the experience of a clear work of saving conversion wrought on their hearts, who depending and living on that, settle in a cold, careless, and carnal frame of mind, and in the neglect of thorough, earnest religion, in the stated practices of it. Although his convictions and conversion were in all respects exceeding clear, and very remarkable, Yet how far was he from acting as though he thought he had got through his work, when once he had obtained comfort and satisfaction of his interest in Christ and title to heaven? On the contrary, that work on his heart, by which he was brought to this, was with him evidently but the beginning of his work, his first entering on the great business of religion and the service of God, his first setting out in his race, his obtaining rest of soul in Christ, after earnest striving to enter in at the straight gate, and being violent to take the kingdom of heaven, he did not look upon as putting an end to any further occasion for striving in religion. But these were continued still, and maintained constantly, through all changes, to the very end of life. His work was not finished, nor his race ended, till life was ended. Agreeable to frequent scripture representations of the Christian life, he continued pressing forward in a constant manner, forgetting the things that were behind and reaching forth towards the things that were before. His pains and earnestness in the business of religion were rather increased, than diminished, after he had received comfort and satisfaction concerning the safety of his state. Those divine principles, by which after this he was actuated, love to God, longings and thirstings after holiness, seemed to be more effectual to engage him to pains and activity in religion, than fear of hell had been before. And as his conversion was not the end of his work, or of the course of his diligence and strivings in religion. So neither was it the end of the work of the Spirit of God on his heart but on the contrary, the beginning of the work. The beginning of his spiritual discoveries, and holy views. The first dawning of the light, which thenceforth increased more and more. The beginning of his holy affections, his sorrow for sin, his love to God, his rejoicing in Christ Jesus, his longing after holiness and the powerful operations of the Spirit of God in these things, were carried on from the day of his conversion, in a continued course, to his dying day. His religious experiences, his admiration, his joy, praise, and flowing affections, did not only hold up to a considerable height for a few days, weeks, or months, at first, while hope and comfort were new things with him, and then gradually dwindle and die away, till they came to almost nothing and so leave him without any sensible or remarkable experience of spiritual discoveries, or holy and divine affections, for months together. As it is with many, who after the newness of things is over, soon come to that pass, that it is again with them very much as it used to be before their supposed conversion, with respect to any present views of God's glory, of Christ's excellency, or of the beauty of divine things. And with respect to any present thirstings for God, or ardent outgoings of their souls after divine objects but only now and then they have a comfortable reflection on past things, and are somewhat affected with them and so rest easy, thinking all things are well. They have had a good clear work, and their state is safe, and they doubt not but they shall go to heaven when they die. How far otherwise was it with M. R. Brainerd, than it is with such persons? His experiences, instead of dying away, were evidently of an increasing nature. His first love, and other holy affections, even at the beginning were very great. But after months and years, became much greater, and more remarkable. And the spiritual exercises of his mind continued exceeding great, though not equally so at all times, yet usually so, without indulged remissness, and without habitual dwindling and dying away, even till his decease. They began in a time of general deadness all over the land and were greatly increased in a time of general reviving of religion. And when religion decayed again, and a general deadness returned, his experiences were still kept up in their height, and his holy exercises maintained in their life and vigour. And so continued to be, in a general course, wherever he was, 
and whatever his circumstances were, among English and Indians, in company and alone, in towns and cities, and in the howling wilderness, in sickness and in health, living and dying. This is agreeable to scripture descriptions of true and right religion, and of the Christian life. The change wrought in him at his conversion, was agreeable to scripture representations of that change which is wrought in true conversion. A great change, and an abiding change, rendering him a new man, a new creature not only a change as to hope and comfort, and an apprehension of his own good estate. And a transient change, consisting in high flights of passing affection. But a change of nature, a change of the abiding habit and temper of his mind. Not a partial change, merely in point of opinion, or outward reformation. Much less a change from one error to another, or from one sin to another but an universal change, both internal and external. As from corrupt and dangerous principles in religion, unto the belief of the truth, so from both the habits and the ways of sin, unto universal holiness of heart and practice. From the power and service of Satan unto God. Section 2 His religion did apparently and greatly differed from that of many high pretenders to religion, who are frequently actuated by vehement emotions of mind, and are carried on in a course of sudden and strong impressions, and supposed high illuminations and immediate discoveries, and at the same time are persons of a virulent zeal, not according to knowledge. His convictions, preceding his conversion, did not arise from any frightful impressions of his imagination, or any external images and ideas of fire and brimstone, a sword of vengeance drawn, a dark pit open, devils in terrible shapes, etc. strongly fixed on his mind. His sight of his own sinfulness did not consist in any imagination of a heap of loathsome material filthiness within him. Nor did his sense of the hardness of his heart consist in any bodily feeling in his breast of something hard and heavy like a stone, nor in any imaginations whatever of such a nature. His first discovery of God or Christ, at his conversion, was not any strong idea of any external glory or brightness, or majesty and beauty of countenance, or pleasant voice. Nor was it any supposed immediate manifestation of God's love to him in particular nor any imagination of Christ's smiling face, arms open, or words immediately spoken to him, as by name, revealing Christ's love to him. Either words of scripture, or any other. But it was a manifestation of God's glory, and the beauty of his nature, as supremely excellent in itself. Powerfully drawing, and sweetly captivating his heart. Bringing him to a hearty desire to exalt God, set him on the throne and give him supreme honor and glory, as the king and sovereign of the universe and also a new sense of the infinite wisdom, suitableness, and excellency of the way of salvation by Christ. Powerfully engaging his whole soul to embrace this way of salvation, and to delight in it. His first faith did not consist in believing that Christ loved him, and died for him, in particular. His first comfort was not from any secret suggestion of God's eternal love to him, or that God was reconciled to him, or intended great mercy for him. By any such texts as these, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven thee. Fear not, I am thy God, etc. or in any such way. On the contrary, when God's glory was first discovered to him, it was without any thought of salvation as his own. His first experience of the sanctifying and comforting power of God's Spirit did not begin in some bodily sensation any pleasant warm feeling in his breast, that some would have called the feeling the love of Christ in him, and being full of the Spirit. How exceeding far worse his experiences at his first conversion from all things of such a nature. And if we look through the whole series of his experiences, from his conversion to his death, we shall find none of this kind. I have had occasion to read his diary over and over, and very particularly and critically to review every passage in it and I find no one instance of a strong impression on his imagination, through his whole life. No instance of a strongly impressed idea of any external glory and brightness, of any bodily form or shape, any beautiful majestic countenance. There is no imaginary sight of Christ hanging on the cross with his blood streaming from his wounds, or seated in heaven on a bright throne, with angels and saints bowing before him, or with a countenance smiling on him arms open to embrace him no sight of heaven, in his imagination, with gates of pearl, and golden streets, and vast multitudes of glorious inhabitants, 
with shining garments. There is no sight of the book of life opened, with his name written in it. No hearing of the sweet music made by the songs of heavenly hosts no hearing God or Christ immediately speaking to him. Nor any sudden suggestions of words or sentences, either of scripture or any other, as then immediately spoken or sent to him no new objective revelations, no sudden strong suggestions of secret facts nor do I find any one instance in all the records he has left of his own life, from beginning to end, of joy excited from a supposed immediate witness of the Spirit or in word immediate suggestion, that his state was surely good, that God loved him with an everlasting love, that Christ died for him in particular, and that heaven was his, either with or without a text of scripture. There is no instance of comfort by a sudden bearing in upon his mind, as though at that very time directed by God to him in particular, any such kind of texts as these. Fear not, I am with thee. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. Before thou wast formed in the belly, I knew thee, etc. There is no supposed communion and conversation with God carried on in this way. Nor any such supposed tasting of the love of Christ. But the way he was satisfied of his own good estate, even to the entire abolishing of fear was by feeling within himself the lively actings of a holy temper and heavenly disposition, the vigorous exercises of that divine love which casteth out fear. This was the way he had full satisfaction soon after his conversion. See his diary on October 18th and 19, 1740. And we find no other way of satisfaction through his whole life afterwards and this he abundantly declared to be the way, the only way, that he had complete satisfaction when he looked death in the face, in its near approaches. Some of the pretenders to an immediate witness by suggestion, and defenders of it, with an assuming confidence would bear us in hand, that there is no full assurance without it. And that the way of being satisfied by signs, and arguing an interest in Christ from sanctification, if it will keep men quiet in life and health, yet will never do when they come to die. Then, they say, men must have immediate witness, or else be in a dreadful uncertainty. But Mr. Brainerd's experience is a confutation of this. For in him we have an instance of one that possessed as constant, as unshaken an assurance, through the course of his life, after conversion, as perhaps can be produced in this age. Which yet he obtained and enjoyed without any such sort of testimony, and without all manner of appearance of it, or pretense to it. Yea, while utterly disclaiming any such thing, and declaring against it. His assurance, we need not scruple to affirm, has as fair a claim, and as just a pretension to truth and genuineness, as any that the pretenders to immediate witness can produce. And he is not only an instance of one that had such assurance in life, but had it in a constant manner in his last illness. And particularly in the latter stages of it, through those last months of his life wherein death was more sensibly approaching, without the least hope of life. He had it too in its fullness, and in the height of its exercise, under repeated trials, in this space of time. When brought from time to time to the very brink of the grave, expecting in a few minutes to be in eternity. He had the full assurance of hope unto the end. When on the verge of eternity, he then declared his assurance to be such as perfectly excluded all fear. And not only so, but it manifestly filled his soul with exceeding joy. He declaring at the same time, that this his consolation and good hope through grace, arose wholly from the evidence he had of his good estate, by what he found of his sanctification, or the exercise of a holy heavenly temper of mind, supreme love to God, etc. and not in the least from any immediate witness by suggestion. Yea, he declares that at these very times he saw the awful delusion of that confidence which is built on such a foundation, as well as of the whole of that religion which it usually springs from or at least is the attendant of, and that his soul abhorred those delusions and he continued in this mind, often expressing it with much solemnity, even till death. Section 3 Mr. Brainerd's religion was not selfish and mercenary his love to God was primarily and principally for the supreme excellency of his own nature, and not built on a preconceived notion that God loved him, had received him into favor, and had done great things for him, or promised great things to him. His joy was joy in God, and not in himself. 
We see by his diary how, from time to time, through the course of his life, his soul was filled with ineffable sweetness and comfort. But what was the spring of this strong and abiding consolation? Not so much the consideration of the sure grounds he had to think that his state was good, that God had delivered him from hell, and that heaven was his. Or any thoughts concerning his own distinguished happy and exalted circumstances, as a high favorite of heaven but the sweet meditations and entertaining views he had of divine things without himself. The affecting considerations and lively ideas of God's infinite glory, his unchangeable blessedness, his sovereignty and universal dominion, together with the sweet exercises of love to God, giving himself up to him, abasing himself before him, denying himself for him, depending upon him, acting for his glory, diligently serving him, and the pleasing prospects or hopes he had of a future advancement of the kingdom of Christ, etc. It appears plainly and abundantly all along, from his conversion to his death, that the beauty, that sort of good, which was the great object of the new sense of his mind, the new relish and appetite given him in conversion, and thenceforward maintained and increased in his heart, was holiness, conformity to God, living to God, and glorifying him. This was what drew his heart. This was the center of his soul. This was the ocean to which all the streams of his religious affections tended. This was the object that engaged his eager thirsting desires and earnest pursuits. He knew no true excellency, or happiness, but this. This was what he longed for most vehemently and constantly on earth. And this was with him the beauty and blessedness of heaven. This made him so much and so often to long for that world of glory it was to be perfectly holy, and perfectly exercised in the holy employments of heaven. Thus, to glorify God, and enjoy him forever. His religious illuminations, affections, and comfort, seemed, to a great degree, to be attended with evangelical humiliation consisting in a sense of his own utter insufficiency, despicableness, and odiousness, with an answerable disposition and frame of heart. How deeply affected was he almost continually with his great defects in religion, with his vast distance from that spirituality and holy frame of mind that became him, with his ignorance, pride, deadness, unsteadiness, barrenness. He was not only affected with the remembrance of his former sinfulness, before his conversion, but with the sense of his present vileness and pollution. He was not only disposed to think meanly of himself as before God, and in comparison of him, but amongst men, and as compared with them. He was apt to think other saints better than he, yea, to look on himself as the meanest and least of saints, yea, very often, as the vilest and worst of mankind. And notwithstanding his great attainments in spiritual knowledge, yet we find there is scarce anything, with the sense of which he is more frequently affected and abased, than his ignorance. How eminently did he appear to be of a meek and quiet spirit, resembling the lamb-like, dove-like spirit of Jesus Christ! How full of love, meekness, quietness, forgiveness, and mercy! His love was not merely a fondness and zeal for a party, but an universal benevolence very often exercised in the most sensible and ardent love to his greatest opposers and enemies. His love and meekness were not a mere pretense, and outward profession and show. But they were effectual things, manifested in expensive and painful deeds of love and kindness, and in a meek behavior, readily confessing faults under the greatest trials, and humbling himself even at the feet of those from whom he supposed he had suffered most and from time to time very frequently praying for his enemies, abhorring the thoughts of bitterness or resentment towards them. I scarcely know where to look for any parallel instance of self-denial, in these respects, in the present age. He was a person of great zeal. But how did he abhor a bitter zeal, and lament it where he saw it? And though he was once drawn into some degrees of it, by the force of prevailing example, as it were in his childhood, Yet how did he go about with a heart bruised and broken in pieces for it all his life after? Of how soft and tender a spirit was he? How far were his experiences, hopes, and joys, from a tendency finally to stupefy and harden him, to lessen convictions and tenderness of conscience, to cause him to be less affected with present and past sins, and less conscientious with respect to future sins? How far were they from making him more easy? 
in neglect of duties that are troublesome and inconvenient, more slow and partial in complying with difficult commands, less apt to be alarmed at the appearance of his own defects and transgressions, more easily induced to a compliance with carnal appetites. On the contrary, how tender was his conscience! How apt was his heart to smite him! How easily and greatly was he alarmed at the appearance of moral evil! How great and constant was his jealousy over his own heart! How strict his care and watchfulness against sin! How deep and sensible were the wounds that sin made in his conscience! Those evils that are generally accounted small, were almost an insupportable burden to him. Such as his inward deficiencies, his having no more love to God, finding within himself any slackness or dullness in religion, any unsteadiness, or wandering frame of mind, etc. How did the consideration of such things as these oppress and abase him, and fill him with inward shame and confusion? His love and hope, though they were such as cast out a servile fear of hell, yet were attended with, and abundantly cherished and promoted, a reverential filial fear of God, a dread of sin and of God's holy displeasure. His joy seemed truly to be a rejoicing with trembling. His assurance and comfort differed greatly from a false enthusiastic confidence and joy, in that it promoted and maintained mourning for sin. Holy mourning, with him, was not only the work of an hour or a day, at his first conversion. But sorrow for sin was like a wound constantly running. He was a mourner for sin all his days. He did not, after he received comfort and full satisfaction of the forgiveness of all his sins, and the safety of his state, forget his past sins, the sins of his youth, committed before his conversion. But the remembrance of them, from time to time, revived in his heart, with renewed grief. That passage as Acts 1663 was evidently fulfilled in him, that thou mayest remember, and be confounded, and never open thy mouth any more, because of thy shame. When I am pacified toward thee for all that thou hast done, and how lastingly did the sins he committed after his conversion affect and break his heart? If he did anything whereby he thought he had in any respect dishonored God, and wounded the interests of religion, he had never done with calling it to mind with sorrow and bitterness. Though he was assured that God had forgiven it, yet he never forgave himself his past sorrows and fears made no satisfaction with him. But still the wound renews and bleeds afresh, again and again. And his present sins, those he daily found in himself, were an occasion of daily sensible and deep sorrow of heart. His religion did not consist in unaccountable flights and vehement pangs. Suddenly rising, and suddenly falling. At times exalted almost to the third heavens, and then negligent, vain, carnal, and swallowed up with the world, for days and weeks, if not months together. His religion was not like a blazing meteor, or like a flaming comet, or a wandering star, as the Apostle Jude calls it, verse 13 flying through the firmament with a bright train, and then quickly departing into perfect darkness. But more like the steady lights of heaven, constant principles of light, though sometimes hid with clouds. Nor like a land flood, which flows far and wide with a rapid stream, bearing down all before it, and then dries up. But more like a stream fed by living springs, which though sometimes increased by showers, and at other times diminished by drought, yet is a constant stream. His religious affections and joys were not like those of some, who have rapture and mighty emotions from time to time in company, but a very little affection in retirement and secret places. Though he was of a very sociable temper, and loved the company of saints, and delighted very much in religious conversation, and in social worship, yet his warmest affections, and their greatest effects on animal nature, and his sweetest joys, were in his closet devotions, and solitary transactions between God and his own soul as is very observable through his whole course, from his conversion to his death. He delighted greatly in sacred retirements, and loved to get quite away from all the world, to converse with God alone, in secret duties. Mr. Brainerd's experiences and comforts were very far from being like those of some persons, which are attended with a spiritual satiety, and which put an end to their religious desires and longings, at least to the edge and ardency of them. Resting satisfied in their own attainments and comforts, as having obtained their chief end, which is to extinguish their fears of hell, and give them confidence of the favor of God.
how far worse is religious affections, refreshments, and satisfactions, from such an operation and influence? On the contrary, how are they always attended with longings and thirstings after greater degrees of conformity to God? And the greater and sweeter his comforts were, the more vehement were his desires after holiness. For it is to be observed, that his longings were not so much after joyful discoveries of God's love, and clear views of his title to future advancement and eternal honors in heaven, as after more of present holiness, greater spirituality, a heart more engaged for God, to love, and exalt, and depend on him. His longings were for ability to serve God better, to do more for his glory, and to do all that he did with more of a regard to Christ as his righteousness and strength and after the enlargement and advancement of Christ's kingdom in the earth. And his desires were not idle wishings, but such as were powerful and effectual, to animate him to the earnest, eager pursuit of these things, with utmost diligence and unfainting labor and self-denial. His comforts never put an end to his seeking after God, and striving to obtain his grace. But, on the contrary, greatly engaged him therein. Section 4 His religion did not consist in experience without practice. All his inward illuminations, affections, and comforts, seemed to have a direct tendency to practice, and to issue in it and this, not merely a practice negatively good, free from gross acts of irreligion and immorality, but a practice positively holy and Christian, in a serious, devout, humble, meek, merciful, charitable, and beneficent conversation. Making the service of God, and our Lord Jesus Christ, the great business of life, to which he was devoted, and which he pursued with the greatest earnestness and diligence to the end of his days, through all trials, in him was to be seen the right way of being lively in religion. His liveliness in religion did not consist merely, or mainly, in his being lively with the tongue, but indeed, not in being forward in profession and outward show, and abundant in declaring his own experiences but chiefly in being active and abundant in the labors and duties of religion. Not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, and serving his generation, according to the will of God. By these things, many high pretenders to religion, and professors of extraordinary spiritual experience, may be sensible, that Mr. Brainer did greatly condemn their kind of religion. And that not only in word, but by example, both living and dying as the whole series of his Christian experience and practice, from his conversion to his death, appears a constant condemnation of it. It cannot be objected, that the reason why he so much disliked the religion of these pretenders, and why his own so much differed from it, was, that his experiences were not clear. There is no room to say, they were otherwise, in any respect, in which clearness of experience has been wont to be insisted on whether it be the clearness of their nature or of their order, and the method his soul was at first brought to rest and comfort in his conversion. I am far from thinking, and so was he, that clearness of the order of experiences is, in any measure, of equal importance with the clearness of their nature. I have sufficiently declared in my discourse on religious affections, which he expressly approved of and recommended, that I do not suppose a sensible distinctness of the steps of the Spirit's operation and method of successive convictions and illuminations, is a necessary requisite to persons being received in full charity, as true saints. Provided the nature of the things they profess be right, and their practices agreeable. Nevertheless, it is observable, which cuts off all objection from such as would be most unreasonably disposed to object and cavil in the present case that Mr. Brainerd's experiences were not only clear in the latter respect, but remarkably so in the former so that there is not perhaps one instance in 500 true converts, that on this account can be paralleled with him. It cannot be pretended, that the reason why he so much abhorred and condemned the notions and experiences of those whose first faith consists in believing that Christ is theirs, and that Christ died for them. Without any previous experience of union of heart to him, for his excellency, as he is in himself, and not for his supposed love to them and who judge of their interest in Christ, their justification, and God's love to them, not by their sanctification, and the exercises and fruits of grace, but by a supposed immediate witness of the Spirit, by inward suggestion was, that he was of a too legal spirit. Either that he never was dead to the law, never experienced a thorough work of conviction, 
was never fully brought off from his own righteousness, and weaned from the old covenant, by a thorough legal humiliation. Or that afterwards, he had no great degree of evangelical humiliation, not living in a deep sense of his own emptiness, wretchedness, poverty, and absolute dependence on the mere grace of God through Christ. For his convictions of sin, perceiving his first consolations in Christ, were exceeding deep and thorough. His trouble and exercise of mind, by a sense of sin and misery, very great, and long continued. And the light let into his mind that his conversion, and in progressive sanctification, appears to have had its genuine humbling influence upon him, to have kept him low in his own eyes, not confiding in himself, but in Christ, living by the faith of the Son of God, and looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus to eternal life. Nor can it be pretended, that the reason why he condemned these and other things, which this sort of people call the very height of vital religion and the power of godliness, was, that he was a dead Christian, and lived in the dark as they expressed themselves. That his experiences, though they might be true, were not great. That he did not live near to God, had but a small acquaintance with him, and had but a dim sight of spiritual things. If any, after they have read the preceding account of Mr. Brainerd's life, will venture to pretend thus, they will only show that they themselves are in the dark, and do indeed put darkness for light, and light for darkness. It is common with this sort of people, if there are any whom they cannot deny to exhibit good evidences of true godliness who yet appear to dislike their notions and who condemn those things wherein they place the height of religion to insinuate, that they are afraid of the cross, and have a mind to curry favor with the world, and the like. But I presume this will not be pretended concerning M.R. Brainerd, by any one person that has read the preceding account of his life. It must needs appear a thing notorious to such, that he was an extraordinary, and almost unparalleled, instance in these times, and these parts of the world of the contrary disposition. And that, whether we consider what he has recorded of his inward experience, from time to time, or his practice, how he in fact took up and embraced the cross, and bore it constantly, in his great self-denials, labors, and sufferings for the name of Jesus, and went on without fainting, without repining, to his dying illness how he did not only, from time to time, relinquish and renounce the world secretly, in his heart, with the full and fervent consent of all the powers of his soul, but openly and actually forsook the world, with its possessions, delights, and common comforts, to dwell as it were with wild beasts, in a howling wilderness with constant cheerfulness complying with the numerous hardships of a life of toil and travel there, to promote the kingdom of his dear Redeemer. Besides, it appears by the preceding history, that he never did more condemn the things forementioned, never had a greater sense of their delusion, pernicious nature, and ill tendency, and never was more full of pity to those that are led away with them, than in his last illness, and at times when he had the nearest prospect of death supposed himself to be on the very brink of eternity. Surely he did not condemn those things at these seasons, only to curry favor with the world. Section 5 Besides what has been already related of Mr. Brainerd's sentiments in his dying state concerning true and false religion, we have his deliberate and solemn thoughts on the subject, further appearing by his preface to Mr. Shepherd's diary, before mentioned. Which, when he wrote it, he supposed to be as it proved one of the last things he should ever write. I shall here insert a part of that preface, as follows, how much stress is laid by many upon some things as being effects and evidences of exalted degrees of religion, when they are so far from being of any importance in it, that they are really irreligious, a mixture of self-love, imagination, and spiritual pride, or perhaps the influence of Satan transformed into an angel of light. I say, how much stress is laid on these things by many, I shall not determine but it is much to be feared, that while God was carrying on a glorious work of grace, and undoubtedly gathering a harvest of souls to himself, which we should always remember with thankfulness, numbers of others have at the same time been fatally deluded by the devices of the devil, and their own corrupt hearts. It is to be feared, that the conversions of some have no better foundation than this. Namely that after they have been under some concern for their souls for a while, and, it may be, manifested some very great and uncommon distress and agonies, they have on a sudden imagined they saw Christ, in some posture or other, perhaps on the cross, bleeding and dying for their sins. 
or it may be, smiling on them, and thereby signifying his love to them and that these and the like things, though mere imaginations, which have nothing spiritual in them, have instantly removed all their fears and distresses, filled them with raptures of joy, and made them imagine, that they loved Christ with all their hearts. When the bottom of all was nothing but self-love. For when they imagined that Christ had been so good to them as to save them, and as it were to single them out of all the world, they could not but feel some kind of natural gratitude to him. Although they never had any spiritual view of his divine glory, excellency, and beauty, and consequently never had any love to him for himself. Or that instead of having some such imaginary view of Christ as has been mentioned, in order to remove their distress, and give them joy, some having had a passage, or perhaps many passages, of scripture brought to their minds with power, as they express it, such as that, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven thee, and the like, they have immediately applied these passages to themselves, supposing that God hereby manifested his peculiar favor to them, as if mentioned by name. Never considering, that they are now giving heed to new revelations, there being no such thing revealed in the word of God, as that this or that particular person has, or ever shall have, his sins forgiven. Nor yet remembering, that Satan can, with a great deal of seeming pertinency, and perhaps also with considerable power, bring scripture to the minds of men, as he did to Christ himself. And thus these rejoice upon having some scripture suddenly suggested to them, or impressed upon their minds, supposing they are now the children of God, just as did the other upon their imaginary views of Christ. And it is said that some speak of seeing a great light which filled all the place where they were, and dispelled all their darkness, fears, and distresses, and almost ravished their souls, while others have had it warmly suggested to their minds, not by any passage of scripture, but as it were by a whisper or voice from heaven, that God loves them, that Christ is theirs, etc. Which groundless imaginations and suggestions of Satan have had the same effect upon them, that the delusions before mentioned had on the others. And as is the conversion of this sort of persons, so are thereafter experiences. The whole being built upon imagination, strong impressions, and sudden suggestions made to their minds. Whence they are usually extremely confident as if immediately informed from God not only of the goodness of their own state, but of their infallible knowledge, and absolute certainty, of the truth of everything they pretend to, under the notion of religion. And thus all reasoning with some of them is utterly excluded. But it is remarkable of these, that they are extremely deficient in regard of true poverty of spirit, a sense of exceeding vileness in themselves, such as frequently makes truly gracious souls to groan, being burdened. As also in regard of meekness, love, gentleness towards mankind, and tenderness of conscience in their ordinary affairs and dealings in the world. And it is rare to see them deeply concerned about the principles and ends of their actions, and under fears lest they should not eye the glory of God chiefly, but live to themselves. Or this at least is the case in their ordinary conduct, whether civil or religious. But if any one of their particular notions, which their zeal has espoused, be attacked, they are then so conscientious, they must burn if called to it, for its defense. Yet at the same time, when they are so extremely deficient in regard of these precious divine tempers which have been mentioned, they are usually full of zeal, concern, and fervency in the things of religion, and often discourse of them with much warmth and engagement and to those who do not know, or do not consider, wherein the essence of true religion consists namely in being conformed to the image of Christ, not on point of zeal and fervency only, but in all divine tempers and practices they often appear like the best of men. It is common with this sort of people to say, that God is amongst them, his spirit accompanies their exhortations, and other administrations, and they are sealed by the Holy Ghost, in the remarkable success they have, in the great affections that are stirred up in God's people, etc. But to insinuate, on the contrary, that he is not with their opponents. And particularly, that God has forsaken a standing ministry. And that the time is come, when it is the will of God that they should be put down, and that God's people should forsake them. And that no more success is to be expected to attend their administrations. But where can they find an instance among all their most flaming exhorters, 
who has been sealed with so incontestable and wonderful success of his labors, as Mr. Brainerd, not only in quickening and comforting God's children, but also in the work of conviction and conversion, which Theon has in a great measure ceased for a long time among themselves, with the most visible and astonishing manifestation of God's power. And this was on subjects extremely unprepared, and who had been brought up and lived, some of them to old age, in the deepest prejudices against the very first principles of Christianity. And yet we find the divine power accompanying his labors, producing the most remarkable and abiding change, turning the wilderness into a fruitful field, and causing that which was a desert indeed to bud and blossom as the rose. And this, although he was not only one of their greatest opponents in their errors, but also one of those they call the standing ministry. First examined and licensed to preach by such ministers, and sent forth among the heathen by such ministers. And afterwards ordained by such ministers. Always directed by them, and united with them in their consistories and administrations and even abhorring the practice of those who give out, that they ought to be renounced, and separated from, and that teachers may be ordained by laymen. It cannot be pretended by these men that Mr. Brainerd condemned their religion, only because he was not acquainted with them, and had not opportunity for full observation of the nature, operation, and tendency of their experiences. For he had abundant and peculiar opportunities of such observation and acquaintance. He lived through the late extraordinary time of religious commotion, and saw the beginning and end, the good and the bad of it. He had opportunity to see the various operations and effects that were wrought in the season, more extensively than any person I know of. His native place was about the middle of Connecticut, and he was much conversant in all parts of that colony. He was conversant in the eastern parts of it, after the religion which he condemned began much to prevail there. He was conversant with the zealous people on Long Island, from one end of the island to the other, and also in New Jersey and Pennsylvania with people of various nations. He had special opportunities in some places in this province, Massachusetts Bay, where there has been very much of this sort of religion, and at a time when it greatly prevailed. He had conversed and disputed with abundance of this kind of people in various parts, as he told me, and also informed me, that he had seen something of the same appearances in some of the Indians, to whom he had preached, and had opportunity to see the beginning and end of them. Besides, Mr. Brainerd could speak more feelingly concerning these things, because there was once a time when he was drawn away into an esteem of them, and for a short season had united himself to this kind of people, and partook, in some respects, of their spirit and behavior. But I proceed to another observation on the foregoing memoirs reflect. To this history of Mr. Brainerd's may help us to make distinctions among the high religious affections, and remarkable impressions made on the minds of persons in a time of great awakening, and revival of religion. And may convince us, that there are not only distinctions in theory, invented to save the credit of pretended revivals of religion, and what is called the experience of the operations of the spirit, but distinctions that do actually take place in the course of events, and have a real and evident foundation in fact. Many do and will confound things, blend all together, and say, it is all alike. It is all of the same sort. So there are many that say concerning the religion most generally prevailing among the separatists, and the affections they manifest, it is the same that was all over the land seven years ago. And some that have read M. R. Brainerd's journal, giving an account of the extraordinary things that have come to pass among the Indians in New Jersey, say, it is evidently the same thing that appeared in many places amongst the English, which has now proved not and come to that which is worse than nothing. And all the reason they have thus to determine all to be the same work, and the same spirit, is, that the one manifested high affections, and so do the other. The great affections of the one had some influence on their bodies, and so have the other. The one used the terms conviction, conversion, humiliation, according to Christ, discoveries, experiences, etc. and so do the other. The impressions on the one are attended with a great deal of zeal, and so it is with the other. The affections of the one dispose them to speak much about things of religion, and so do the other. The one delight much in religious meetings, and so do the other. The agreement that appears in these, and such like things, make them conclude, that surely all is alike, all is the same work. 
whereas, on a closer inspection and critical examination, it would appear, that notwithstanding an agreement in such circumstances, yet indeed there is a vast difference, both in essence and fruits. A considerable part of the religious operations that were six or seven years ago, especially towards the latter part of that extraordinary season, was doubtless of the same sort with the religion of the separatists. But not all there were many, whose experiences were, like Mr. Brainerd's, in the judgment of charity, genuine and incontestable. Not only do the opposers of all religion consisting in powerful operations and affections, thus confound things. But many of the pretenders to such religion do so. They who have been the subjects of some sort of vehement, but vain operations on their mind, when they hear the relation of the experiences of some real and eminent Christians, say, that their experiences are of the same sort and that they are just like the experiences of eminent Christians in former times, of which we have printed accounts. So, I doubt not, but there are many deluded people, if they should read the preceding account of Mr. Brainerd's life, who, reading without much understanding, or careful observation, would say, without hesitation, that some things which they have met with, are of the very same kind with what he expresses when the agreement is only in some general circumstances, or some particular things that are superficial, and belonging as it were to the profession and outside of religion. But the inward temper of mind, and the fruits in practice, are as opposite and distant as east and west. Many honest, good people also, and true Christians, do not very well know how to make a difference. The glistering appearance of false religion dazzles their eyes. And they sometimes are so deluded by it, that they look on some of these impressions, which hypocrites tell of, as the brightest experiences. And though they have experienced no such things themselves, they think, it is because they are vastly lower in attainments, and but babes, in comparison of these flaming Christians, yea, sometimes from their differing so much from those who make so great a show, they doubt whether they have any grace at all. And it is a hard thing, to bring many well-meaning people to make proper distinctions in this case, and especially to maintain and stand by them. Through a certain weakness under which they unhappily labor, they are liable to be overcome with the glare of outward appearances. Thus, if in a sedate hour they are by reasoning brought to allow such and such distinctions, yet the next time they come in the way of the great show of false religion, the dazzling appearance swallows them up, and they are carried away. Thus the devil by his cunning artifices, easily dazzles the feeble sight of men, and puts them beyond a capacity of a proper exercise of consideration, or hearkening to the dictates of calm thought, and cool understanding. When they perceive the great affection, earnest talk, strong voice, assured looks, vast confidence, and bold assertions, of these anti-assuming pretenders, they are overborne, lose the possession of their judgment, and say, surely these men are in the right, God is with them of the truth and so they are carried away, not with light and reason, but, like children, as it were with a strong wind. This confounding of all things together, that have a fair show, is but acting the part of a child, that going into a shop, where a variety of wares are exposed to sale all of a shining appearance. Vessels of gold and silver. Diamonds and other precious stones. Toys of little value, which are of some base metal gilt. Glass polished and painted with curious colors, or cut like diamonds, etc. should esteem all alike, and give as great a price for the vile as for the precious. Or it is like the conduct of some unskillful, rash person, who, finding himself deceived by some of the wares he had bought at that shop, should at once conclude all he there saw was of no value. And pursuant to such a conclusion, when afterwards he has true gold and diamonds offered him, enough to enrich him and enable him to live like a prince all his days, he should throw it all into the sea. But we must get into another way. The one of distinguishing in things that appertain to experimental religion, is one of the chief miseries of the professing world. It is attended with very many most dismal consequences multitudes of souls are fatally deluded about themselves, and their own state. And thus are eternally undone. Hypocrites are confirmed in their delusions, and exceedingly puffed up with pride. Many sincere Christians are dreadfully perplexed, darkened, tempted, and drawn aside from the way of duty and sometimes sadly tainted with false religion, to the great dissenter of Christianity, and hurt of their own souls. 
Some of the most dangerous and pernicious enemies of religion in the world though called bright Christians are encouraged and honored. Who ought to be discountenanced and shunned by everybody and prejudices are begotten and confirmed in vast multitudes, against everything wherein the power and essence of godliness consists. And in the end deism and atheism are promoted. Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books, MP3s, digital downloads, and videos, please visit Stillwater's Revival Books at PuritanDownloads.com. Stillwater's Revival Books also publishes the Puritan Hard Drive, the most powerful and practical Christian study tool ever produced. All thanks and glory be to the mercy, grace, and love of the Lord Jesus Christ for this remarkable and wonderful new Christian study tool. The Puritan Hard Drive contains over 12,500 of the best Reformation books, MP3s, and videos ever gathered onto one portable Christian study tool. An extraordinary collection of Puritan, Protestant, Calvinistic, Presbyterian, Covenanter, and Reformed Baptist resources. It's fully upgradable and it's small enough to fit in your pocket. The Puritan hard drive combines an embedded database containing many millions of records with the most amazing and extraordinary custom Christian search and research software ever created. The Puritan hard drive has been produced to assist you in the fascinating and exhilarating spiritual, intellectual, familial, ecclesiastical, and societal adventure that is living the Christian life. It has been specifically designed so that you might more faithfully know, serve, and love the Lord Jesus Christ, as well as to help you to do all you can to bring glory to His great name. If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, then the Puritan hard drive is for you. Visit PuritanDownloads.com today for much more information on the Puritan hard drive and to take advantage of all the free and discounted Reformation and Puritan books, MP3s, and videos that we offer at Stillwater's Revival Books.